The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. It is a true emergency. Quick, run. We're in. Yay. We're back. Yay. We made it. Sort of. Technically, today, to today, we made it to today. <laughs> Top of show business. Listener discretion is advised. Because we say fucked up shit sometimes. Shh, don't say those swears. <laughs> well, if you were discreet about your listening, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> okay, I take my headphones off. Oh, no, because I can still hear you. <laughs> I take them off. Um, we've been MIA because we've been working on a play here in Los Angeles. Ooh, fancy LA play actor. It only goes up one weekend, and by the time this comes out, it will be over. So don't even try to be supportive. <laughs> don't um, even think about it. But if you do want to see us act and you do want to support us... Oops. I'm not used to having a functioning computer. <laughs> If you do want to see us act and you do want to support us, we may or may not be crowdfunding a series that we've been working on for like two years. So keep your eyes peeled and we'll definitely plug that once the crowdfunding campaign goes live if we go that direction. Yeah. But we're happy to be back and we missed you (laughs) this whole month. I can't say me too if you say we, right? Yeah. That's not how grammar works. We, we too. We too. Yeah. Um, I missed recording... I have, like, two top-of-show notes. Do you have anything? No. The first thing is we still have merch available online. We have black shirts, white shirts, stickers, and we also have a quote-unquote, we have quote-unquote women's shirts, which just means they're softer and the sizing is harder to pin down. So if you want any of that stuff, <laughs> go to mysteryteaming.com store and you can see our merch. And there's links to where you can buy it. Um, I think the shirts are like $15. Women's shirt just means that it flares out at the bottom. Yeah, and it <laughs> probably costs like $2 more. Um, and all that stuff is available on Teespring. So if you want, you can also go to Teespring and search for Mystery Team Inc. We have size extra small all the way up to 5XL and 4XT. So there's something for everyone. Um, one more business... We have over 40,000 plays. Ooh. Which is so funny because that the first like 5,000 plays it took feels like took like a year. I think it quite literally took a year. And now it's like just in a couple Don't months. Look out the window like you can tell the day no. by the stars. <laughs> <laughs> You're not oh, Moana. That's not what I was doing. I got distracted because Kayla put up the sound proofing and it's a grid, but the top is just missing one in the middle and it one caught them, stay up. caught my eye. So I had to look at it. Um, 
Yeah, it just feels like that's crazy because it's just like only been a couple months, like probably what's five or six months since it was 30. So I'm just really proud. And thank you all for listening and supporting. Thank you for your DMs. Yes. Chris, a.k.a. Thinkquarium, looking at you. Danny did it. Lexi, Gracie, Echidna, a.k.a. Angie, Leticia, Sean from Scotland, our new friend Stefan or Steven, uh, our awesome artists and our musicians who created our artwork and our intro. We are very grateful to all of you. We are very grateful. Thank you. And Thanks for entertaining our weird dream. Yeah, thanks for supporting our weird dream. dream. Yeah, so those are all my top of show notes. I'm just happy to be here, and I think it's time for... Oh, one more thing. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review. It really helps us. And tell your friends. And follow us on Instagram. Um, I think it's time for the ceremonial quacking of the beers. Yeah. What are we quacking to? Um, Let's quack to this play. To the play. I feel like we've been... We've been working really hard. hard on ourselves and working really hard, and now we should have a, like moment where we're like look at all the work we've done i'm very proud of all the work <laughs> after we've done. tomorrow at seven there's no turning back <laughs> we just have to do it to the play at least we don't have to wear lipstick to the play and not having to wear lipstick i'm so pleased should we do some mysteries yeah i guess i'm so excited who first Technically, it's your turn, which means you get to decide who goes first. Okay, I'll go first because you hyped yours a lot, and okay. I am suffering from a bout of intense self-doubt and <laughs> hatred, so no. we can just get mine out of the way. Okay. I also wrote this on a lot of cold medicine, so who the fuck knows? That makes me excited for it at the very least. I don't know. If it means anything to you. Maybe cold medicine Kayla has her shit together more than regular Kayla. Cold medicine Maggie wrote the Mothman episode, and that was probably my best work. So just don't doubt what you can do on cold medicine. I know, but cold medicine Kayla and cold medicine Maggie are very different people. (laughs) Okay. So today I'm presenting to you the mystery of the island of high Brazil. Uh oh. Do you know about it? No, I don't think so. No, don't do that. (laughs) Maybe I do, and I just don't know that I know. But Uh, I don't think I know. Okay. High Brazil is an island said to be in the Atlantic Ocean off the western coast of Ireland. According to Irish mythology, the name is said to have come from the Irish Ui Brace. Also, I'm so sorry for. Any of the words I try I'm to pronounce. I'm so sorry for who I am. <laughs> and that and the too. The way that I talk. That too. Comes from the Irish Ui Brisale, which means the descendants of Brisale, which is one of the ancient clans of northeastern Ireland. Now, here's what happens when you research High Brazil. Every article, the first two thirds of the article, are about the origin of the name. You know what's not interesting? The origin of the name. The origin of the name. (laughs) So it's like, there's like, it's like, there's like a king maybe, or (laughs) this clan. Or a god. Or or a god. And then the second paragraph, because they're all three to four paragraphs long. The second paragraph is always a very detailed explanation of why it might or might not be related to the name of the country, Brazil. I don't. I don't, I tried really hard to care about that part. I don't. How did it turn out? Yeah, you don't. Okay. Here's what it is, basically. It might be. It cool. probably isn't. 
because Brazil was not called Brazil before it was called Brazil. It was called some other fucking Portuguese shit. Or some indigenous thing. Yes, it was in... Well, when it was, like, conquered by the white man, the Spanish man. Quote, unquote. Or the Portuguese man, whatever. So it had two... When it was, like, colonized. Yeah, when it was colonized, it it went through two names. And then it became known as Brazil because of a tree. Because of Brazil. Is that real? Yes. Did you just make that up? No. Oh, Because its main export as a country was Brazil wood. Oh, I see. Yeah. That that's a very capitalist thing to do is name a country after its main export. I know. It's like if you named America after fascism. <laughs> now. Yeah, now I was gonna say now. Um, okay, so that's so that's the whole thing. That's about the first it. two thirds of the story. Yeah, right there, there you go. So the island can't wait for the third act. <laughs> it's just the next sentence. Okay, great. <laughs> so the island is said to be cloaked in mist. Every day, except for one, every seven years. No. When it becomes visible to mortals, but still unreachable. Oh my god, it's like Brigadoon. It's like Brigadoon. Yes! Yes. Hooray! <laughs> it's ra- we it's, did it! It's Brigadoon. Brigadoon! <laughs> Brigadoon! I'm so excited to be talking about Brigadoon right now. You have no idea. Tell me all about real life Brigadoon. Okay, I will. So, one of the most helpful articles that I found that I'm going to shout out is from mysteriousuniverse.org. But I think this one, that one ended in a little bit of a weird Kayla, ver- <laughs> Kayla twist <laughs> oh, yeah. that I would have done. Sure. So, debatable. So, that website said, quote, The Celtic people believed the island to be a land of eternal plenty and happiness, populated by an advanced civilization of immortals possessing high technology and vast wealth. The island was said to harbor magnificent cities with towers and streets of gold and to be ruled by mysterious priests with magical powers who knew all of the secrets of the universe. High Brazil was said to be typically shrouded in fog, hidden from the world of mortals, only to appear once every seven years. Yes. (laughs) It's El Dorado meets it's Brigadoon. It's El Dorado meets Brigadoon. <laughs> uh, typically, the stories went that. Dorado. <laughs> the magnificent <laughs> and golden. <laughs> Brigadoon. <laughs> I love this. So, typically, the stories went that anyone approaching the island would find themselves somehow unable to reach it, but those who did manage to get there would come back laden with gold and riches beyond their wildest imaginings. Not like Brigadoon. Where Brigadoon is basically like, yeah. don't they? Ju- it's like seven wives for seven brothers, but set on a fog island. No, <laughs> I don't remember that's, the plot. But of that's Brigadoon. a good <laughs> listen. That might we might be able to sell. No, Brigadoon. Spoiler alerts. Brigadoon. Spoiler alerts. Spoiler alert. Brigadoon. Um, Brigadoon is it's like a guy who's just like run away from his wedding yeah, yes. with his like best friend and they go to Brigadoon and he falls in love with the girl there yeah. and then his friend dies or something. <gasps> right. Yeah. And I don't know why I am picturing it's because it as they seven do have they brothers. do have like there's a marriage ceremony happening and it's like the bride's sister or something he falls in love with or something like that. Like there's a there's a marriage ceremony which yeah, might but be But it's white definitely wine. not like a golden city with mythical beings. No, it's no, no, just no. It's, it's seven like an Irish city in the past style people. Yeah, Irish. Well, Brigadoon is Br- Brigadoon the um 
the town is stuck lives, it's stuck in the, past. in the past. Yes. That's why I'm imagining it like that. Right. Okay. And they're like, you can either go, like, if you don't go home by midnight, you're going to get stuck in the past. And they make him choose. Yeah. Yes. God, what a wonderful, wonderful plot to a musical. I love Brigadoon. Okay. So, one of the main things you need to talk about when you're talking about High Brazil is High Brazil on maps. I'm excited. It's map time. <laughs> so, um, Brig, not Brigadoon. <laughs> <laughs> I have boys in your mind. I know. So, Hi Brazil. Cartography started... Corner. <laughs> it's Cartography Corner with your host, Kat Stapler. <laughs> this program is brought to you by <laughs> listeners like you. <laughs> Should I add like a little thing in post? Yes. Like a little sound effect. Hi Brazil appeared on real maps starting in thir- like around 1325. Um, on most maps, it's located around 200 miles off the west coast of Ireland. Like, it's in the same place. Um, it appears as an island called Brasil on nautical maps um, in the early 1300s. Um, the most important one was included on a chart created by Angelino Dolcer, who was an Italian Mallorcan cartographer, mm-hmm. who, by the way, had this, like... No, that's a different person. Listen, don't get me started on Italian Mallorcan cartographers. (laughs) You don't want to date one. Let's just say that. (laughs) They're bad at boundaries. (laughs) Oh! Um, It appears as an island called Insula de Brasil in 1436 on a map made by Andrea Bianco, who is who I thought the other guy was. (laughs) Who... (laughs) Who was a Venetian well, that's all sailor. you need to know about him. My brain is, like, remembering these pieces of information out of order because yeah. of the cold medicine. So yes. I'm like, he was... And no, no, no. <laughs> Not yet. Um, Andrea was a Venetian sailor and cartographer who made, an, like, a world, quote, world map. Mm-hmm. And it was super cool. It had, like... But at the time, it was just Italy and Ireland, It was right? Europe. Because, yeah. <laughs> it was just Europe. But it was like 19 pages, and there were, it was... Like foldy Audi style? No, 19 separate <laughs> charts. Oh, I was imagining like one of those big accordion folded... No, no, no. Uh, it's just like a big book. No. <laughs> it's not like those... Um, it was more like a Thomas guide. Oh, like an atlas. Yeah, like a book. Yeah. And you just put each page... With, it was cool. Um, Did but you it was, see it? I, there are pictures of it on the internet. It's really cool. Also, you, you talked about it like you misplaced it. It was, it was super cool. cool. I, I used to have it. I don't know if I... Maybe I when I moved. moved. Stop. <laughs> God, I've lost so many things in the move, which makes me think that like, where did they go? I think... Th- Every I mean, time I move. Most things that you lose in a move are accidentally thrown away. Yeah. Okay, okay, go ahead. So, um, High Brazil shows up in 1840 in a Catalan chart as an island off the west coast of Ireland called Ila de Brazil. Um, there is a rare work entitled La Naviación Lende Oriental. That sounded right. I have no idea. Uh, it was printed in Amsterdam in 1609, so we've jumped. Um, and you that just said one, one from 1840. No, 1480. Oh, you said 1840. 1480. Oh. 
1480 in a Catalan chart, 1609 in one printed in Amsterdam um, that has two islands off the coast of Ireland, one named Brazil and one named Brandon. What? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just Brandon. Oh. Oh, my God. Um, There's a French chart made in 1634 that has it as high Brazil. Um, and it was last seen on a nautical map in 1865, but it had been demoted to just Brazil rock. Oh, I know. Which it falls in line with my burgeoning theory, which is that there was an island there and over time it just like sank into the sea. It's possible. Possible. On maps, High Brazil is a little circular island and he has like a little um, straight running east to west across his diameter. I watched you almost go a little <laughs> I know <laughs> and then you didn't. Um, he has like a little Yeah. He does have a little across. Yeah. Uh, which as much as we fight about the name Brazil not may be or maybe not being Do related we fight about to. That? I fought about it with the internet. Oh. Um, Brazil's flag has a circle with a in the middle. Whoa. I know. Whoa. Uh, Coincidence? I think not. I think not. Ancient astronaut <laughs> theorists say yes. I mean, I'm just saying they both have a... Yeah. So weird, man. That's weird. I know. I think they got it. I think it's from I Brazil. I think they're just like, that's cool. That was ours now. So, here's some stories of people who said they visited the island of High Brazil. Yeah. They're great. So, in 1674, a man named Captain John Nesbitt set sail from France to Ireland. Why do I know that name? I don't Does know. he live on the fourth floor? <laughs> <laughs> the story that Captain John Nesbitt and crew told was, they were sailing from France to Ireland. They were in familiar territory. That they had sailed many a time. And they sailed through a dense fog. And then when they came out of the fog, there was like this island that they'd never seen before. So they went up onto the island and they found that it was inhabited by giant black rabbits and one wizard. Okay. Who lived in a castle. And what was his name? They didn't say. That's a shame. I'm, I know. Such an opportunity. We'll call him Andrew. oh okay (laughs) so andrew the wizard took them into (laughs) his castle and told them that the island was usually hid from mortals by a spell but it had been broken no he didn't tell them how um and then he like gave them some gold and silver and was like okay goodbye and like sent them on their way that's the story of captain john espick going to high brazil (laughs) It sounds like the Phantom Toll Booth. Yeah. Meets Brigadoon. <laughs> this is all going to be something meets Brigadoon. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay. Then, in 1684, an Irish historian named Roderick O'Flaherty wrote an account that he heard from a man named. <sighs> you're good at pronouncing. <laughs> That's, that was his name. <laughs> yeah, that goes his name. I wouldn't uh, have known how to pronounce that. Uh, Morof Olay. Okay. Who said that in April of 1668, he got in a fight with his wife and left the house. I believe it so far. To like brood around the villages in the area. Copy. Then, about nine leagues from Galway Sea, 
he met three strangers who kidnapped him and forced him into a boat and took him out to a strange island. He got shanghai yes. to El Dorado? He got shanghai to Brigadoon! <laughs> Um, so they told him that the island was called High Brazil, and in his account, he said that he was able to, like, look from the shore toward Ireland and see a bunch of landmarks along the shore and, like, in the water. Oh, it was, like, that close to Ireland. Close enough that he could see landmarks. Right. Um, so... Then he says he spent two days on the island, and then all of a sudden he woke up on the shores of Galway again, feeling very sick. And then, like, a couple years later... He found that he had the gift of healing, even though he'd never studied medicine. And the implication is that he gained that gift from High Brazil. Not from the cult he was in or anything like that? No, you'd think. You would think, right. Yeah. And then, all of a sudden, this man named John O'Donovan was working on an ordinance survey. When he, like, I think in the 1800s, he was working on an ordinance survey and he was just talking to people. And he heard this story of a man named Maura Follet who went to high Brazil. But his version of the story is this. White rabbits. A magician <laughs> named Brandrew. White rabbits. <laughs> a witch named Andrea. Yeah. Um, and she sent them away with frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Um, so his story was that Olay was a part of a fishing crew. And they were out in the water fishing, and they came across an island after a dense fog that they were unfamiliar with. And this old man, like old Tim, I imagine him called like, Low like Chile. Tim from um, Holy Grail. Yeah. It's like, okay. yeah. Comes out and is like, this island's enchanted. Go away. And they're like, uh-uh. And then before they left, the old man went up to Olay and like gave him a big book. And he was like, don't open it for seven years. And he was like, okay. So he took it home, waited seven years, and then opened it. And then he gained the power to heal and went on to become a very successful physician. And the book was like, hags, don't ever change. Like, <laughs> Loved a, having lo- you in third and like period phys yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm XOXO. typing my yearbook quotes. XOXO, Andrew. Uh, it was like, burn, it was a burn book. Oh, better. Mm-hmm. Even better. The Burn Book of Brigadoon. <laughs> um, Brigaburn. <laughs> um, so that book, Burn which is called The Book of Lees, The Book of O'Lees, stayed in the family um, until it was sold to a bookseller in Dublin in 1837. This book exists. Oh. Yes. Oh. It is a medical, it's a medical tome, and it's currently in the possession of the Royal Irish Academy Library, and it's a real fucking book, and it's like, just teaches you how to cure diseases. And it was gifted to him by a wizard. Yes. Well, it was an old man in that version. Right, right, right. He didn't know if it was Andrew. He didn't have to, like... Look at some golden plates in a hat. No, he didn't even he dig them up. No. It, right? <laughs> no, he it just was gifted to him by an old man years. on a magical island. Yeah. Okay, just double checking. Yeah, this is a different religion. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave it to him. He was like, "Don't read it for seven years," and he was like, "All right." And then seven years later, he read it, and he became a very successful doctor. Good for him. I know, right? Good for her. So the <laughs> Royal Irish Academy Library has it. And here's what they say about it. Here's what they want you to think. 
The book is a 15th century Irish language medical manuscript. It contains 44 tables outlining details of diseases with their prognosis, stages, symptoms, and cures. The text is a translation of a Latin work, which is itself a translation of a 12th century Arabic text. Sure. (laughs) Or it was given to him by the wizard Andrew on the Fog Island of Brigadoon. Could be. Um, In 1872, an author named Thomas Westrup claimed to have seen the island twice. What? Nothing. It's just funny. So he claimed to have seen the island twice. And then he was like, this time I'm taking my mom, my brother, (laughs) and some friends to back me up. And then they all came back and they were like, we saw it. Whoa. But it's like, some moms will do that for you. My mom would. Susan wouldn't. Mm. If I was like, mom, pretend to see the Loch Ness Monster with me, she'd be like, how are you going to afford tickets to Scotland? (laughs) Enough about my childhood. If I was like, mom, look, a Loch Ness Monster, she'd be like, very good. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's a big one. (laughs) one. Good eye. Yeah, exactly. She's very supportive. Um, Okay. So the Thomas Westrup account is named in almost every article I read about High Brazil. Cannot find it. Oh, I hate that. I can't find anything that is like him actually talking about having seen it. There's no primary source. There's no primary source. And everything, every article it's mentioned in says like he saw it twice before and then he took his mom. But no one's like, here are the other times he saw it. Right. And no one is really like, here's what they described when they saw it. Right. So, I see the conundrum. So it's a huge problem. Right. (laughs) I see the huge problem. (laughs) It's a huge problem. Moving on. On July 7th, 1878. (sighs) I love Ireland. I do too. Because of the name of this town. The inhabitants of the Irish seaside town, Ballycotton. No. In Cork. (laughs) Yeah. Um, were both surprised and astounded by the sudden appearance of an island that they had never seen before. (laughs) Um, They said they saw the island very plainly. They were able to make out the coastline, woodlands, fields, and deep valleys. A number of fishermen got into boats because everyone was like, "What? we're all seeing this island, right? And the fishermen were like, on it. Yeah. And they got in the boats and then... As they approached, it just, like, winked out of existence. No. Yeah. No. Yep. That freaks me out. I know. It's freaking it. It's because at that moment, the brother decided to stay with his true love. Yeah. Must be. Um, and then, this one's bananas. On February 18th, 2012. No. Yep. That's, like, last year. <laughs> I know. <laughs> A pilot. <gasps> That's, like... More than seven years ago. Yeah. See, no, the next one years. is the, this year. No. Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay, tell me. Okay. I think it, no, it was last year. What was it? Someone did the math and it was either last year or this year. Uh, yeah, it would be if last year because if it was 2007. So, on February 18th, 2012, a pilot named Niger... Gosier? Sure. Reported seeing a mysterious bank of fog rolling over the ocean near the western coast of Ireland at around 1 p.m. in otherwise clear conditions. He reported that as he flew over the area, his compass went haywire. Mm-hmm. 
And when he looked down, he could see green rolling hills through patches of fog where there should have been no landmass. No! And the pilot said that the fog had then become, he, the fog became thicker, heavily blanketing the area and obscuring his view of the baffling green land below. And then he just like went on to Ireland. Uh, but he was like, I fucking fuck? saw, I was in the middle of the ocean, there was fog, and yeah. then I saw rolling hills. Yes. That's amazing. Ridiculous. I love this. I, that was the second time that I went back to do, like, extra research, because most um, articles say that the last time it was, like, seen and visited was Thomas Westrup, theoretically, and then I found the... 1878 one and then i was like digging around in the dark corners of the internet and it was like but did you know that this happened in 2012 and i was like meeting. okay are you ready for some theories yeah okay so one theory is what you said yeah is that the island was part of what is now a sunken land uh it claims that during the last ice age sea levels were as much as 120 meters lower than they are now. And then in 1862, there was a raised area of seabed discovered 200 kilometers west of Ireland, and its highest point was only 200 meters below sea level. Mm-hmm. It is called Porcupine Bank. Um, both the Porcupine Bank, bleh, both the Porcupine Bank west of Ireland, as well as the sunken ridge under the Aran Islands in Galway Bay, may have been exposed pre-Ice Age, and they're both around where High Brazil would be. Um, another theory is that it's just, like, a very long-lasting misidentification of an island that does exist, which is called Baffin Island, but that is off the... No- it's off the northern coast of Canada. But the the mysteriousuniverse.org says that the location of High Brazil on the maps, if you look at them chronologically, it just kind of moves farther west. Mm. Um, as map making skills became more sophisticated. So if you look at the steady, quote, steady crawl west of the island, people have thought that if it had continued on the path west on maps, it would have just ended up where Baffin Island mm. was. I see. But... So the answer, the, the theories so far are Atlantis, Canada. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay, great. Just wanted to catch up, make uh, sure we were all on the same page. And then the next one is science. Okay. Um, we like science. No, this one's boring and I don't like it. Oh. It's a huge bummer. But here you go. Mm-hmm. Um, it ruins, I wrote, then we have the boring science theory that ruins all the fun. <laughs> you love science. I know, but this one ruins all the fun. <laughs> So this one says that High Brazil never existed, and it's just an optical illusion called Feta Morgana. It's actually cool. I'm just I was just going to say, that's really cool. It's pretty cool. Um, also, medi- Feta Morgana is my Star Wars name. <laughs> it's my porn name. Oh. That's cool, too. We can share it. That's fine. Meteorologists have found that during certain climatic conditions, mirages can appear in northern territories when layers of hot and cold air uh, reflect refract light. Cool. Um, light. Science is cool. Science is really. I, I know I was being pissy when I read this. Science is cool. This is cold medicine. Kayla, who was like, science ruins everything, <laughs> which is not true. This is really cool. So light bounces off the surface of clouds and water to create optical illusions. 
So it's possible that all those people standing on the coast who saw the island were just experiencing like a mirage light refraction. And then as soon as the fishermen got close enough for the light, the angle of the light to be off, it went away. How did the light refract a wizard? (laughs) It was a lot of fog. Or a rabbit. (laughs) A lot of rabbits. A lot of giant black rabbits. How did the light do that? He might have been lying. Hmm. (laughs) Science. (laughs) (laughs) And then aliens. (laughs) Is that still part of the same theory? No. Okay. So theory number four. So, so far, Sunken City, sorry, Sunken Island. Yes. Canada. Uh Uh-huh. Science yeah. or aliens. Aliens, yeah. That's generally what they Choose are. Choose your fighter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this, do you... Ancient Canada theorists <laughs> say yes. Have you listened to anything about the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident? Yeah. Yes, you have. Yeah. I know you have. But it's been a while. Okay. Um, That's true. So I'm not going to go into it because... Last podcast on the left does an amazing, a fucking incredible job. So go series. listen to that. I will tell you, it was a UFO sighting in 1980 in an army base in England. Mm-hmm. There you go. But it's amazing. You should go listen it's to that. It's incredible. Episode. Please listen to them. They're phenomenal. I think it's a two-parter. We should maybe do that someday. I think they may have done it. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I would never play a role Patty Lapone Patty Lapone played. You know? <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> um, so... One of the main players in the Rendlesham UFO incident is named Sergeant Jim Peniston. Mm -hmm. And he claims that when the UFO landed... Yeah, Sergeant Jim Penistown. Penistown. He, when the UFO landed, he touched it. Yeah. And it beamed into his head 12 pages of binary code. Yeah. Part of the binary code, once translated, read, Origin 52.0942532 North. No. 13.131269 West. No. Origin year 8100. No. These coordinates lie just west of the coast of Ireland at the Atlantic Ocean, right around where High Brazil Stop it. should be. Stop it. This binary You're freaking code. freaking me out. I know. This binary code also listed the coordinates of several other ancient sites around the world, including the Pyramids of Giza and the Nazca Lines. Yep. I remember that. Fucking bananas. Uh, so, this is where MysteriousUniverse.org went on a Kayla tangent. Mm-hmm. They said that, quote, The coordinates were sent in binary by time travelers from the year 8100 and that they led to markers or jumping points for other time travelers to assist them in navigating multiple timelines. Perhaps cool. High Brazil and other phantom islands like it Serve as some kind of world line way stations. That is so cool. I'm going to choose to believe that. I'm actually super here for that. Me too. The thing about the Rendlesham Forest incident and why I really recommend that you listen to this is even though those boys are alien heads, I'm also an alien head, but it's like some of the shit is like really, really hard to refute. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the only UFO incidents that really makes me be like, hmm. They are out there, you know? <laughs> yeah. It turns me into, like, full molder. Yes. When I'm usually half molder. Right. And the fucking... If you look no at it on else. Google Maps, it's fucking right there. Yeah. It's so weird. And this dude didn't even know what binary code was. He was yeah. just like, here's some zeros and ones. Yeah. <sighs> it's insane. 
So that's my favorite part of Hypercell is that it's probably way stations for time travelers. I love it. I love it. It's Brigadoon, but for aliens. It's incredible. That's High Brazil. And it's a good place to stop and get a big gulp on your way to a different timeline. Yeah. Wow. No, I don't think they have a 7-Eleven. What about an 11-7? They may. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an alternate timeline version. Um, Okay, do you want to take a break? Yeah. Hooray. We'll be back after these messages. And you can listen to... um, Yeah, take a quick six-hour break. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to put uh, music on the in-between and do... Well, it's no nay never. Um, are you ready? I'm nervy. I'm so excited. (laughs) I have a quick question. Yes. Tell me this doesn't look purple to you. I can see. Yeah. It looks a little lavender. Okay. Just want to make sure. Kayla's referencing today when she brought a gray blanket to our rehearsal and she was like, I have this purple gray blanket. It's purple gray. And everyone was like, what? I stand by it. I absolutely stand by it. My mom said it's purple gray and it's purple <laughs> gray. Everyone was like, it's gray. It's and not. then there was another blanket that was light gray. And someone was like, can you take this light gray blanket? And I was like, oh, this baby pur- baby purple blanket. <laughs> um, are you ready for my mystery? Yeah, but you're making me nervous. Today, I will be performing one of the greatest mysteries <laughs> of our generation. <laughs> one of the greatest mysteries of our generation. Today I present to you, is National Treasure Real? Yes! (laughs) An examination of the historical elements of of two-time Teen Choice Awards nominee, (laughs) National Treasure, starring Razzie nominee for Worst Actor, Nicolas Cage, and Oscar Award winning actor, Nicolas Cage. How did you come up with this? I truly don't remember. It's been on my list for a long time. Just investigating national treasure? Yes. <laughs> because, well, a long time ago, I decided that I'm going to do an up, uh, I'm going to do the Knights Templar sometime. Okay. We may have to do it as a team, but at some point in my, like, research about the Knights Templar, national treasure came up, and I just had to do it. Um, I'm so excited. And just in case you were wondering, the, the, the categories that it was nominated for, the Team Choice Awards, were... Movie, action adventure. <laughs> Best or just that just it movie. was a movie? Just movie. And then choice actress in an action adventure. Listen, what about Riley? Also, you know I have a lot of feelings about National Treasure. I know, that's why I haven't so, so excited to do So get the fuck this. ready for my opinions. Fuckle the bucka. <laughs> I'm excited. I, I didn't thought you pour would enough be. tequila for this. <laughs> First of all, shout out to Martha Soren, who is an author... 
who is the author of the Bustle piece, where I got most of this information. The Bustle article is titled, How Much of National Treasure is Real Less Than You Might Think? No. <laughs> Which is a bold assertion, because I don't know if that's possible, Am but I? here we are. I thought all of it was true. I also got a lot of info from National Geographic, Wikipedia, and a website about the history of the British Navy. <laughs> if this is going to ruin National Treasure for me, we're not No, I think it's going to make it better. Okay. So you tell me Ben Gates is not a real person, I'm going to no, run. Not, well, he is. It's an anagram of Nick Cage. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to examine some of the assertions that the film makes and then how close to the Careful. truth they are. Careful. Cat. So this whole episode, my whole half of this episode is formatted like this. Nick Cage says... Great. The founding fathers were Freemasons. Okay. History says... Mm-hmm. True. Some of the founding fathers were Freemasons. But of the 55 who signed the declaration, only nine were said to be Masons, including George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and James Monroe. However, as Martha Soren points out, Charles Carroll, who's the final living signatory of the Declaration of Independence, was not a Mason. In the film, he's the Mason who held the last clue to the treasure... But IRL, he was a Catholic, and Catholics aren't allowed to be Freemasons. Catholics aren't allowed treasures. <laughs> and I don't know if it's the Catholic Church that denounces Freemasonry, or if it's the Freemasons that denounce the Catholics. It but probably either goes way, both ways. Yeah, I love it. I didn't know it, and I know it now, and I'm happy. Nick Cage says, there is a lost treasure of the Knights Templar. History says, Maybe. This is the point in my research where I found out, in all caps, holy shit, the Knights Templar were founded in the year 1119. <gasps> the number that always haunts me. So there are various legends concerning a treasure that some Templars managed to hide from King Philip and that was later lost. According to the legend, and I'm gonna do, I really want to do a whole episode about the Knights Templar, so I'm not going to go deep into the general history of the Knights Templar, but... According to the legend, the Knights Templar discovered the greatest treasure in human history buried beneath the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem. We don't know if that's true, but we do know that the Knights became wealthy and powerful to the point that they rivaled some of the influence of European kings, which is part of the reason that they were ultimately either snuffed out or run underground. The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, 1982, seems to be the source of the story that the Holy Grail was found by the Order of the Knights Templar and taken to Scotland during the suppression. 1982? This is a book from 1982. So a book from 1982 is the source? It's the source of the story that the Holy Grail was found by the Order of the Knights Templar. Don't they know it was Indiana Jones? That was what, yes. But also that's the Ark of the Covenant, but also... Oh, right. He was the Ark of the Covenant. But... Um, so yeah, there's this legend that, uh, the Knights Templar went, when they were being chased out of Europe, they went to Scotland and they went underground there and then reemerged later on. And that's their tie to the Freemasons. Um, so, but this book from 1982 seems to be the source of the story that the Holy Grail was found by the order taken to Scotland during the suppression of the order in 1307, where it remains buried beneath Rosslyn Chapel. This theory is also visited in Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code, which Mm. we will discuss later. Yes! That's coming back, too. In National Treasure, it's like there's this whole lost treasure of the Knights Templar. Um, And there is... 
sort of like historical legend about a missing Templar fleet, which was supposedly based on information gained from the interrogation of Jean de Chalon by the Inquisition. So he claimed that he had heard that the preceptor of the French Templars, named Gerard de Villiers, had been warned that he was going to be arrested because someone found out that he was like running the Knights Templar. And so he escaped with 50 horses and 18 galleys, quote unquote. The fleet carried the treasure of the Paris preceptory of the Templars. So like the idea was that they like loaded all the treasure onto these boats. Then Holy Blood, Holy Grail, the book from 1982, further embellished on the lost fleet idea alleging that the Templars in these ships fled to the New World by following old Viking routes, i.e. making one of the pre-Columbian voyages to America. Since the popularization of Holy Blood, Holy Grail with the commercial success of Dan Brown's novel, there have been numerous allusions to this idea in American pop culture. But the Templar Code for Dummies, 2007... Ooh, I want that. ...also points out the historical implausibility of this scenario. Why? As for having 18 galleys that may have left from La Rochelle, history doesn't back that up. In shipping records from La Rochelle of the period, there's no record that the Templars had 18 galleys, much less that 18 galleys were even at La Rochelle. Reports in the years leading up to the arrest seem to simply imply that the Templars actually had very few large ships. Some some suggest no more than four, and hired more from merchant shippers when needed. So, maybe... And that's the ship that they find under the ice, right? Oh, no. We're getting to that. Nick Cage says there was a ship called the Charlotte, which is buried under the ice in the Arctic Circle. History says, actually, yes, probably. Yes! The Charlotte was lost off the coast of Newfoundland, 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 in 1818, after being sold to a Quebec merchant. But she was originally commissioned as one of, quote unquote, two ladies of the First Fleet Fellowship Victoria, which was the first fleet of Europeans to make contact with Indigenous Australians. Oh. And was tasked with establishing the first European settlement in Australia, which we know is a penal colony. Yeah. So the Charlotte carried, like, a hundred convicts from London to Sydney to establish the first settlement, your first European settlement in Australia. That's what the Charlotte did, the actual boat. That's cool. Um... Then it was later sold to a Quebec merchant and it was lost off the coast of Canada somewhere in the Arctic Circle. So it probably actually is down there. (sighs) Yes. Nick Cage says, there's a clock tower on the back of the $100 bill that reads 222. (gasps) History says, true. (laughs) The back of the $100 bill depicts... I've never had a $100 bill. That's not true, (laughs) but I've never looked. (laughs) The back of the $100 bill depicts Independence Hall, Mm -hmm. which is where the Liberty Bell used to be housed. It was built to house the Liberty Bell. In the film, Nick Cage, i.e. Ben Gates, Mm. magnifies the bill. With a water bottle. To see the time on the clock reads 2.22. In an Urban Outfitters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) IRL, the bill did have a clock that reads 2.22, though officially it was documented as reading 4.10. But if you look at a $100 bill or even a picture of a $100 bill, it's very clearly the shorter hand pointing to the two and the longer hand pointing to the four. So they're trying to hide something. Right. In 2013, the bill was re-released and the time was changed to 10.30. (gasps) 10.30? There's no explanation as to why they changed the time, 
although the changes made to the bill were claimed to have been made to deter counterfeiters. But I could not find any information about this, and I couldn't read any more in this article, read any more about it in this article, because that fucking article from Bloomberg was behind a stupid paywall. But financebuzz.com says, quote, No one seems to know why either of these times were chosen, but both images, the North and South views, were engraved by J.C. Benzing in the 1920s. It is assumed that he took pictures of the building at different times of day, which would explain the time discrepancy. No, we know why. This makes me think that Nick Cage was right, and there actually is a conspiracy theory at work here, but I don't know what it is, and no, that makes I think me there sad. Is. No, here's what it is, is that the fucking 222 has something to fucking do with it. With the national treasure. And they're just trying to hide the truth from us. And I that's agree. why they put Nick Cage in the movie, so that we wouldn't take it seriously. <laughs> You're so right! Listen, one time I watched this movie, Hammered, with Adam Kitchen, mm-hmm. and we, the whole time we were like, this has to be true. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It has to be true. I forced Tommy to watch this movie for the first time, and he fell asleep. Sorry, it was his first time. Not only was it his first time, but he fell asleep during the part where the Charlotte explodes. And I was like, how do you sleep through that? How do you sleep through literally any part? Any part. I don't know. I was furious. It's one of my top five favorite movies, if I'm being honest. I could watch National Treasure every day. I could watch it every day. Oh, my God. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yes, I agree. And I love the idea of Nicolas Cage as a romantic lead. It never gets old. <laughs> it never gets old. Okay. No, it's one of my back to, favorite movies. <laughs> back to is National Treasure real? I feel like you could just sum it up and be like, yes. Nick Cage says Ben Franklin invented daylight savings time. History says Riley says it. Right. <laughs> That's fair. In the Urban Outfitters. <laughs> History says. Ben Franklin made a joke about it once 100 years before it was created. He was like, you guys, wouldn't it be fucking ridiculous? (laughs) So George Vernon Hudson is credited with proposing the idea in 1895, and he's from New Zealand. But Benji, why did he write that? (laughs) But Benji did write a satire article in 1784, 100 years earlier, that suggested that you could save money on candles by waking up earlier to maximize the daylight in the winter. See, here's my thing. Here's the thing <laughs> that I'm learning right now about my feelings about National Treasure. <laughs> I'm so glad I could call this awakening for you. <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm feeling conflicted because I love National Treasure. But that moment would have been so much better in the film if Nick, because it's when Riley finally has a leg up on Ben. Mm-hmm. And he's like, is this how you feel all the time? And it's great and charming. Yes. But if Ben Gates had been like, Benjamin Franklin invented... Daylight Savings, and Riley had been like, actually, he wrote a satirical piece about it a yes. hundred years. Like, that would have been. And Way then he better. could have been like, do I know something? It's the same feeling. Right, but it's true. But it's true and obscure. Yes. Get at me if you want me to, like, you know, look Shop over your, your scripts. scripts. <laughs> <laughs> She'll punch him up. I'll just, I'll do a quick punch up. Nick Cage says, they sell life-size copies of the Declaration of Independence at the gift shop for $35. How much do they actually History cost? History says, false. They only cost $9.95. <laughs> yeah, 30, uh, 35 seemed high. In 2004 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Nick Cage says, Benjamin Franklin wrote letters under the pen name Silence Do Good. History says, true. As a young boy in his teens... Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> 
As a young boy in his teens, Benjamin Franklin, or Benji as I affectionately <laughs> refer to him, worked as an apprentice in his older brother's printing shop in Boston, oh, where so the New lame. England Current was published and printed. Franklin never got anything he wrote published by his older brother editor. Aww. So at age 16, he created the persona of a middle-aged widow named Silence Duguid. I would have had a very big crush on him. I know. Once every two weeks, he would leave a letter under the door of his brother's printing shop, where he also worked. A total of 14 letters were sent. The letters were published in the New England Current fortnightly and amused readers. Some men wrote in offering to marry Mrs. Dugan, Miss Dugan, upon learning that she was widowed. The letters poked fun at various aspects of life in colonial America, such as this quote about hoop petticoats. These monstrous topsy-turvy mortar pieces are neither fit for the church, the hall, or the kitchen. And if a number of them were well-mounted on Nod's Island, they would look more like the engines of war for bombarding the town than ornaments of the fair sex. An honest neighbor of mine, happening to be in town sometime since on a public day, informed me that he saw four gentlewomen with their hoops half-mounted in a balcony as they withdrew to the wall, to the great terror of the militia, who he thinks might attribute their irregular volleys to the formidable appearance of the ladies' petticoats. <laughs> God, crush alert. He, he literally wrote these, <laughs> these letters like as an old lady and was like, I don't approve of these young women I think these and their hoop skirts. Hoop skirts. Because that's the reason that the British are firing from a distance. Like, because they think that they're, like, mounting cannons. But really, it's just women can't get through the door with their hoop skirts. I knew this out. I knew this. I knew that the Silence Do Good letters were real. Because, oh, did young me do a little bit of research? Um, But it's, like... Better than you imagine? Better than I imagine. History is fun. And I will not let anyone tell me that it's not. My main goal with this podcast is just to make people believe that history is fun. Okay. And my main goal is to make people believe science is fun. We are nerds. So, unfortunately, that there's probably... Foley. I made that sound with my mouth. <laughs> unfortunately, there's probably no inherent inherent code in the Silence Do Good letters. But you never fucking know, actually. So You know what, though? I think prior to next recording, we should maybe, maybe take the numbers from the movie and plug them into the silence two good letters ourselves and just see what we get and maybe just see what happens maybe it's maybe a an easter egg oh here are some facts did you know that the national treasure team hired nine writers between 1993 and 2003 to streamline the plot wow and they still didn't get the benjamin franklin thing right <laughs> i did in 30 seconds they were hired to streamline the plot I think that's a mistake. Because apparently the original version was labyrinthian. Give us the labyrinthian version <laughs> of National Treasure. Did How do you we know? get our hands? I bet we know someone who has the original I bet we script. could get a copy. From 93? Mm-hmm. Did you know that the Independence Hall scenes were shot at a brick-for-brick brick replica of the building that was built by Walter Knott of Knott's Berry Farm <gasps> in 1962 and is located across the street from Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park, California. We're going. I know. Oh my God. That, that scene where he's like running across the roof, that's all in Buena Park. It's a brick for brick replica. Why would you build that? Walter Knott. We should do some research about that fucking guy because what was he doing? What were you doing? When was Knott's Berry Farm built? Knott's Berry Farm built. I don't know. 
I'm do you Google think it's it. before or after his replica? That's what I'm wondering. Did he build the replica and then the theme park? It's funny though because I've only been there a couple times and it was when I was much younger. But when I, I like in my mind's eye, I can remember rolling up there and like to the left being like, "What is that building? What is that? When? Wait, when was this one? 1962. The... So it was." F- 42 years after he built Knott's Berry Farm. So he yeah. built an amusement park and then was like, you know what else would but, be super But Knott's cool? Berry Farm wasn't originally an amusement park. It was a berry farm. I know, but this, uh, this says like 1920 amusement park in Buena Park. Cool. I'm, I'm going to look up when... Did Knott's Berry Farm become an amusement mm-hmm. park? Beginning in the mid-1920s, the Knott family sold... Oh, okay. So the farm was in the 20s. They sold shit on the roadside stand. In 34, he began selling fried chicken dinners in a tea room on the property. In 1940, Walter Knott began constructing a replica ghost town on the property, the beginning of the present-day theme park. The idea of an amusement park really picked up in the 1950s when Walter Knott opened a summer-long county fair. In 1968, for the first time, an admission price was required to get into the park, originally set at 25 cents. The Calico Log Ride opened in 1969. Yeah, so this was pre-rides. It was just like a fair. Yeah. Crazy. That's... <laughs> I, I love that in the middle of, like, kind of developing your farm into an amusement park, you're like, what if? <laughs> Across the street. And his wife was named Cordelia. That's like, dope. Cordy. <laughs> I'm, I'm we're still working on my ghost town. I know. But before I add a Ferris wheel, what if? Brick for brick, reconstruction of, of Independence Hall. And she's like, Walt, I really, really think we I need really to married the wrong Walt. I married the wrong, <laughs> the wrong Walt. Walt with a theme park. I married the wrong theme park, Walt. Did you know that both Nick Cage and director John Turtletob attended Beverly Hills High School in the late 1970s and they shared a drama class together? Aww. While promoting a later film collaboration, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, oh, another hit. Nick Cage revealed that Turtletob had actually beat him out for the lead in a stage production of Our Town, and Cage was relegated to two lines of dialogue in a bit part. Listen, Nick, we've all had the bit part in high school. Did you know, according to IMDb trivia, that in the movie, the good guys use Google and the bad guys use Yahoo? Oh, I thought you were going to say Alta Vista. <laughs> That's so funny. Did I you have to know go rewatch this movie? That National Treasure grossed three hundred and forty-seven point five million dollars worldwide. National Treasure Two grossed four hundred and fifty-seven point <laughs> four million, meaning the sequel did better than the original, and the series has grossed over eight hundred million dollars total. I'm not even surprised. It's fucking phenomenal. Three big questions remain. Oh, gosh. One. Where's the third one? Why did anyone write this film? I, the answer may surprise you. Oh. I, <laughs> I, I hope it gets... For pe- art. I hope it gets people interested in the past, said Jim Koof, who co-wrote the screenplay. After seeing the movie, my daughter grabbed a copy of the Declaration of Independence and brought it to school with her. That was very exciting. Mostly, we set out to have a rollicking good time, he said. But if it gets people to also look at history differently and pick up a book about the Founding Fathers, that's great. I think it should be... I'm hoping that we can popularize the Founding Fathers so that one day there's a hip-hop musical about it. Could be. National Treasure, the musical. (laughs) 
holy shit, that's the best idea you ever had. <laughs> holy shit, that's the best idea you've it's ever had. It's truly the best idea I've ever had. Oh my god, National Treasure the Musical. Question two. Was this film just trying to capitalize on the success of the Da Vinci Code by stealing its whole vibe, weaving together coded messages from the Age of Enlightenment with Legends of the Knights Templar? Yes. Yes. Three. What happened to National Treasure 3? In I December, Googled this many times. <laughs> in December of 2007, before the second film was released, Nick Cage showed interest in doing a third film, believing it should be more international. In early 2008, Disney registered the domains for NationalTreasure3DVD.com and, <laughs> and NationalTreasure4DVD.com. Why didn't they take both sites? NationalTreasure3.com. Both sites are now unregistered and the second link redirects. To what? In May 2008. <laughs> to what? Director, I, to don't what? Know, I don't know. In May 2008, director and producer John Turtletop said that the filmmaking team would take its time on another National Treasure sequel. In September 2008, producer Jerry Bruckheimer officially, officially confirmed that they were in process of developing a third film. And in November of that year, Bruckheimer said that the writers were in the process of writing the script for the film. In May of 2010, Bruckheimer said that the first draft of the screenplay was completed. In a February 2012 interview, Cage stated, I have not heard any news about a third one at this time, and it would be interesting to take National Treasure into South America. In May 2013, Justin Bartha stated that the third installment was still a possibility and that the scripts have been written. In, in April 2014, Bruckheimer stated that the first act of National Treasure 3 was complete and quote-unquote exciting. On March 4th, 2016, the Walt Disney Company CEO, Bob Iger, responded to a question regarding the third film, saying, We have done two, and yes, they were really fine movies. I know Jerry Bruckheimer, who produced them, has had conversations with our studio a number of times about it, and there have been some developments along the way. But as of right now, we have not greenlit, as we say, a National <laughs> Treasure 3. Thank you for, as we say, in greenlit. He said that. I know, I love that he did oh, that. Yes. You know. It's like of someone who speaks a foreign, like someone who's yeah. French, but speaking as English, we like, say, I'll you say greenlit. But I do know there is time and some resources spent on development. On May twenty fifth, two thousand sixteen, Nicholas Cage confirmed that the film was still in the writing process. On no. September first, two thousand seventeen, <laughs> no. Jerry Bruckheimer revealed that the script was already finished, but Disney was not satisfied with the story. No. In July of two thousand eighteen, John Turtletob reiterated that a script for a possible third film was "quote unquote" close, but Disney still was not completely sold on the idea. In January of twenty twenty, <gasps> it was announced that Chris Bremner, the writer of Bad Boys for Life, would write a new script for National Treasure Three. Mic drop. The motherfucking end, or is it? <laughs> the end, or is it? I want a national the treasure end, three or so is it? bad. The end, or is it? Here's what I was going to say while you were reading that lit, that timeline. Now's the time. I know. Like, everybody who's our age, like, we're the demographic for National Treasure 3. People a little bit older than us... Before their time. Maybe the real treasure was the original national treasure all along. No. I mean, yes, obviously. <laughs> that was a true treasure. But, like, it's time for a third. It's I time. I know. Nick Cage needs to make a comeback. Justin Bartha needs a fucking comeback. Everyone Diane Kruger's fine. But She's like, great. We'd love to have her back. National treasure three. Oh, my God. 
I will be at the midnight fucking screening. I will be there too, like dressed as Nicolas Cage <laughs> with like a copy of the Declaration of Independence. As Nick and me as Riley. Oh, do you want to say the line? Because we haven't said the line this whole recording. No, I don't. I don't think I can do it justice. Okay. It's like I said, I don't want to play a role that Patty Lapone's already played. Oh my god. Okay, that's fair. you can do it. I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> <laughs> God, now I'm I had so much fun researching that one. I know that sounds so fun. I love that Benjamin Franklin stuff. That was I'm appalled that in the ten years they were writing that film, no one was like they it literally would be clever. wrote it for ten years. It would be clever if we did like it's the same scene. It's just more interesting, guys. Uh, you said it in Urban Outfitters. Give us something. Yeah, I'm also really excited because I really do want to do a Knights Templar episode. Yes. And I'm going to do is National Treasure 2 real. <laughs> you should. I fully encourage you to. It was one of my favorite episodes to research probably ever. Um, yeah. I We did it. God, it's such a good fucking movie. I and know. now all I can do is think that about National amazing. Treasure. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> every time I watch it, I'm like, God damn it, guys. Yeah. They did such a good job. And everyone's like, National Treasure. But like, come on. I they know. designed an entire puzzle. Mm-hmm. That's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. It only took nine writers in ten years. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a year per writer. It's incredible. So that's Is National Treasure Real? An Examination of the Historical Elements of Two-Time Teen Choice Awards nominee <laughs> National Treasure 2004, starring Razzie nominee for Worst Actor and Oscar winner Nicolas Cage. <laughs> do you have any thoughts you want to wrap up this episode? a lot of fucking thoughts. I'm upset that people think National Treasure isn't fucking real. <laughs> they know now that it is. It's fucking real. Most of it is real. Yeah. It has to be real. Yeah. We can go see Independence Hall any day and see what time the clock is yeah, at any time of day. Park. <laughs> You're right. Oh my we god. Did it. That was great. We did it. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Go watch National Treasure. Yeah. Maybe if we all stream National Treasure a lot of times. And tweet at Disney. Then they'll be like, there's an audience. There's absolutely an audience. They're rebooting every fucking thing else. Reboot National Treasure. You've got to make National Treasure while Nick Cage can still (sighs) do stunts. I know. (laughs) Now's the time. Seriously. Um, Please follow us on Instagram. Please rate and review our podcast. Please send us emails about how much you love National Treasure. DM us. DM us. We love a DM. We do. Tag us and stuff. We hope to be back more regularly now that we're going to be done with the play this week. So yeah, we hope you all had a lovely Valentine's Day and whatever no. other holidays are happening. President's Day. Valentine's Day is just a ruse the government is creating to it's make you not think not about national treasure. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, a conspiracy theory I can get behind. Valentine's Day is just a distraction from the truth of this national, of national treasure. treasure. This podcast, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you heard it here fucking first. Okay. Yeah, I'm officially brain dead. Well, Once you bring up national treasure. <laughs> sorry. I just want to be like cozy with my movie. Stay in your lane. We don't know. Fuckle the buck up. Smooches. We're going to steal the declaration. <laughs> Good night. Good night.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.